they're very parochial up here, like they're very proud. Uh, there's a long history of, um, like I said, food, agriculture. Everybody knows somebody. I think the work community is, is really a big part of that. Welcome to a special series of The Producers, The Producers in Launceston. I'm Danny Vallant. For our second episode in our trip to Northern Tasmania, we chat to Massimo Mele, a local chef and restaurateur who has made it a mission to use, nurture, highlight and champion local farmers and the produce they grow, make and coax into being. We travel to Tasmania as guests of the Agriculture Producers Festival. The showcase dinner was at Grain of the Silos restaurant, overseen by Massimo and ably enacted by chefs Thomas Perker, Mika Che and their teams. The dinner was special. Not only was local produce the star of the multi-course show, the producers themselves were gathered around the tables, adding another layer of meaning to my enjoyment of this unique and resonant meal. When moving to a regional area known for agriculture, it's easy to have a romantic idea of the potential food journey. Massimo soon realised that he was going to have to build relationships, trust and systems to create the paddock-to-plate restaurant of his dreams. Uh, Grain and Silos uh, is a restaurant that's been open now four years and um, uh, I opened the restaurant with the idea of basically um, wanting to support the local food community. Um, that's kind of how it started and uh, four years later it's grown into, um, you know, uh, the, the main objective is sourcing local and, and creating relationships with farmers and the food communities, essentially. And um, we have over 42 local producers that kind of sell to us, which is pretty cool. The journey, uh, it was a tough start, yeah. Um, I had this idea when I first moved down from Sydney that um, oh, everyone must, you know, must use local, it's Tassie. And so uh, I thought that you can get produce all the time and consistently and because it must be everywhere because everyone keeps saying about come down to Tassie and check out the produce and uh, it wasn't that easy. Um, I found out that uh, some farmers didn't want anything to do with chefs. Um, they thought the chefs were hard to work with and um, kind of up and down and like one, one week they'd want it, next week they wouldn't want it and they'd be very tr- with the trends. So... So there wasn't a real kind of stable relationship with um, restaurants and farms. So they mainly dealt with um, produce uh, markets. They just go to town and sell their produce once a week and they were happy with that. So um, it took me probably 18 months to get anybody to start selling to me direct. Um, And then that was hard because they didn't do invoice. They didn't do cash. And so working in a venue like this, um, which has obviously got a hotel behind it, um, everything needs to be above board. So uh, I couldn't, you know, so I started basically paying them and then invoicing the business myself <laughs> just so I can get the produce, which was a lot of work. Um, but I, I, was trying to, I was trying to kind of just bridge the gap. So that's kind of how it started. And then after a while, we started to, um, you know, expand on that and then kind of what we did was I had like a, a list of questions that I'd start with, like, um, you know, how often do you, can you deliver? What would you, what, what do you like to grow? Um, could you deal with a 14 day turnaround for invoicing? Do you do electronic invoicing? So if I get three or four yeses, I'd kind of pursue that. 
because at that point, if I didn't get those, it was just too hard. Um, and after a while, probably two years it took, um, and, and Walter's, you met last night especially, he was, he just turned around and just one day he just went, hang on, like, I get, I get you're trying really hard. And as soon as he came on board, a few more started coming on board and um, we started to get that, you know, kind of that momentum with the support. So yeah, that probably would have taken 18 months to two years. In recent years, chefs and diners have rekindled a passion for good local produce. And at the same time, some farmers have started to unchain themselves from monocultural farming at scale. It's more than a trend, something of a movement and building trust and community at every step along the supply chain is crucial. I think it's the right moment. I think, like I said, when I first uh, moved back to Tassie, uh, that'd be seven years ago, um, I had this real kind of romantic notion about Tasmania and it's it so wasn't true. Like, um, I remember the first the first farm that I was down south and I wanted some, I wanted some goat's curd and he was like, no, if I, if I have to give you that much goat's curd, I'm going to have to milk more goats and I don't want to do that, you know? And now that these guys are like, you know, they've won awards and they're amazing producers, but like that was kind of the mentality back then. So um, I think a lot, a lot of people started like hobby farms as well. And then when they started to understand that they could probably um, scale a little bit and work out what where that line is, like they don't want to get too big because they don't want to kind of um, ruin the brand or the product by being really commercial. But then they can't just be doing 20 litres of milk a week because they're not going to make any money. So um, I think what's happened in the last couple of years is a few people have kind of figured out a few tricks to, to kind of make it work. And I think it's kind of happened at the same time, but it's also happened in the last five years, I think, because people have just wanted to eat better and people are going to the markets and not just getting an Instagram photo of a celery sticking out of their bag and while they've got their bagel and coffee, they're actually going to the markets and shopping, not for the week, but to get, you know, the majority of their their fresh produce, you know, and then hopefully that'll last, which is essentially what I do in, in all the restaurants that I work with. We get a delivery only once a week. And so we've got to figure out how to make that last. And that's the tricky part. Um, and I think in the last couple of years, um, there's been a lot of people even moving to Tassie and becoming wanting to, to, you know, not all of them, you know, are successful, but I think there's a real kind of trend um, or a real movement into people wanting to either have their own food or go and source their own food that from someone that they trust and respect. With the restaurants, I think... Um, for us especially, we've seen people kind of gravitate towards us because we've got the ability to help them grow. So, you know, I remember our first baker, like unbelievable baker, but he only bakes once a week when we first opened the restaurant. I'm like, well, this is a hotel. So if I get the bread for the restaurant, we need to get it for the hotel as well. He's like, no, I only bake once a week. I'm like, well, can you bake three times a week? Um, four years later he's got two shops and three vans and you know like he I just said trust me like we'll work together we'll we don't jump ship so that's the other thing about having that trust people come to us because they know we don't just kind of um, dump someone when something new comes along 
So I think that trust is what's also helped the business grow and that kind of community of farmers around us because they know when we say something, we do it. Of course, all chefs use produce, but there are various ways of engaging with it. What is behind Massimo Mele's approach to fresh ingredients? I mean, I always had a huge respect because I come from a family of um, farmers in Italy, like, and, um, you know, growing up in, in Tasmania, like, our backyard was like being in Naples. Like, there's just produce everywhere and to the point where you couldn't even play ball games because my mother would, like, cringe every time a tomato plant got crushed. But um, I think visiting the farms has probably been my kind of, you know, like it really showed me what's going on. Like, you know, the first farm I visited, I was picking potatoes and I remember like these guys have been doing it for 50 years, you know, family and two or third generation and how hard they worked for $4 a kilo just blew my mind. It was actually $2 a kilo. And these are potatoes that we use in the restaurant. And I was like, I spent the day with them and I thought, wow, I, I was only there really for an hour on the truck, you know, picking. Um, and, you know, dealing with weather, climate, um, seeds not um, inoculate or not working and not growing, uh, losing our harvest. Uh, or last year, like with the rains, we lost everything. Um, and so I think that appreciation for where it's coming from, the effort they put in. Um, I also started growing my own vegetables, like a big garden at home. Um, and <laughs> I was like, wow, that's hard. Makes you think like in some way when everything's in abundance, just how hard you work and then, then how hard you work to kind of preserve it so you don't waste it. Um, and I think that appreciation for food, and I've always had an appreciation for food because I've, I've grown up in a, in a home where everything's, we're always at the table and mum grows everything and um, you, you, you learn to respect food and, and especially the people that are putting it on the table for you. Um, but these guys work really, really hard and I think the appreciation comes from um, understanding that not everything always is going to be, um, comes to plan. So we, because we have a good relationship, we can kind of go, well, you know what, I understand that we haven't got Spigarello this week well, that's okay, we'll use the, the broccolini flowers and a couple of weeks you'll be back on track and we'll get that back on. And so there's that mutual respect. And I think that works rather than, um, well, that's not good enough. Why, why, have I not, why is it not here? We don't have any of that. And part of my role as, a, as, I guess, a mentor with the chefs, and I'm not heavily involved in the kitchen, but more the operations, is making sure that, you know, I'm CC'd on all the emails because I want to make sure that we speak to our producers with respect. So in the past, I've had some people say, well, I need this tomorrow. It's like, that's not how we talk to them. These, these guys are friends and you see them last night in the event, you know, sitting down and we're all mates. So you don't speak to your friends like that. And that's, I think, what is the beauty of all this is that they're not just suppliers. They're not a name on the wall. Um, and, there's, and it works both ways. So I think that mutual respect is pretty important. Every farmer's produce becomes an honoured part of a mosaic of ingredients used at Grain of the Silos restaurant and throughout the associated hotel offerings. Walter Sells, from Seven Springs Farm, doesn't only grow vegetables, he was also an important gateway to other farmers in the region. Walter is one of our, um, well, he's 70% of our fresh produce that comes into the hotel. 
And I say hotel because it's not just about the restaurant. The restaurant is within a hotel, um, but everything that comes in um, is is fed through all the different outlets. So if you're coming into the cafe, you're eating, um, you know, Walter's prop. Um, produce you know whether you're coming to the restaurant at night for the dinner experience you're eating the same produce so the idea was to make sure that everything that came in was that premium quality um, was actually offered uh, even throughout conferencing so the idea was to try and make sure that we created a viable business it wasn't just this is the a-grade stuff it's going to the restaurant and so Walter has a farm uh, two and a half hours from the hotel from the restaurant um, in Larinia which is just below Cradle Mountain so it's extremely cold um, but it's nestled in this valley that he just seems to be able to grow like amazing produce that you wouldn't think would be able to grow around there. And so, um, but he was like, at the markets, he was like the guru. You'd walk in and the best looking shop uh, store and all this really interesting stuff, chicories, endives, um, you know, Catalonia, all these things that I hadn't really seen before. I'd seen the Italian version growing up, but like, I was like, this is really cool. Like, this is much more interesting than just broccoli and carrots and potatoes, which is what was really on offer. Um, and in abundance, because this is a huge agricultural, you know, farming background. And here's someone who's growing really cool, interesting stuff. So still, you know, had to really kind of twist his arm. And so uh, once you get someone like that on board, and then a few started to pop up, and then we started getting really kind of um, really good at engaging and trying to work out because um, also logistics is a problem. So they're like, oh, we can't deliver. And I'm like, well, I found um, a company that is like a courier service in Tassie. And um, so we can get produce from anywhere. You've just got to go and drop it off at the drop off. They'll pick it up. They'll charge us 20 bucks a box. No, that's too hard. Oh, God, okay. So that, they're the conversations that were had in that first two years. Um, and so it, it's really been kind of, the reason I'm so proud of it is because through you know, extreme hard work and grit and patience, we've kind of come on the other side where now they're like, it's, it's in abundance. Um, and the, re- the relationships are really strong. And uh, I think people can really taste the difference in the produce, like, you know, making sure that the chefs do the right thing is also a big part of it. But for me, the huge um, push is to engaging those relationships, meeting. I actually get excited about more going to visit them and and what we can do and what we can plan and what they want to grow and all these kind of things. And and then the chefs kind of get to do the creating. But I like nurturing that relationship. I think, I don't know, I just, I like hanging out with the farmers. Chefs are used to coming up with dishes and ticking ingredients off a list for next day delivery. But that's not how ordering works when you're interlinked with farmers. So, yeah, so the idea with the, the spreadsheet came around, um, he's like, oh, I want to grow for you now. And I'm like, oh, okay. So before, I guess, was a real kind of um, reactive, reacting to what's available. So he would say, uh, for the next three months, I've got kohlrabi i've got celery i've got heaps of jerusalem artichokes and you know tell me what you need and or we'd work week to week he just sends a list he still does it now he sends a list and these are the availability so he said i've got an idea where maybe we can have a more sustainable approach where i'll tell you what i can grow 52 weeks what's available 52 weeks of the year everything and you kind of give me some 
estimations of what you might take. And I, I sat down and I was with um, my colleagues and I was like, oh, this is, I was so overwhelmed. Like I've never had that happen before. Like I said, you're always reacting to a, a weekly. And he said, basically, um, if you can kind of tell me, we can plan. And then he also in that chart had a, an idea, an estimation of how long pending there's no, you know, big surprises with weather, how long I can have that product. So you can actually know that, okay, well, I'm going to be able to actually have Celerac on there over two seasons because he can grow it because he's got different climate. And then I don't have to change as much all the time and scramble because at that time I was still training people to learn. And so that that process started three years ago. He sat down, he's, his mum was actually visiting from Belgium. She she jumped on the, the conversation at the table because he just picked her up from the airport and, and their family, like fifth generation farmers. So it was really interesting to, to kind of open that can to see what we could do. Um, and then we started doing with a few other farmers. And it, like I said, it's not perfect because it's really difficult to bank on with the current situations going on with COVID and things like what we're going to be doing when. So it's, it's real guesswork. But what it means is that there's ingredients that I really want that are, he needs 12 months lead time. So the radicchio, the chicory, uh, you know, we want to get puntarella, which is really difficult to get the seeds. So it's not just about the growing, it's about waiting for the seeds to come, you know, into Australia. So um, those lead times are really important. And so now we have this kind of, it's it's an updated Excel spreadsheet, which actually makes much more sense um, and much easier to read. And so, you know, last week we've already done our planning for until probably um, next June. So... We kind of just say, this is what we'd like to have. Um, and now we kind of know what's it's in season. And that kind of just has a much more sustainable approach because he's not reacting or just planting stuff and then trying to, to scramble to sell it. He knows he's going to plant spunta potatoes and I'll take 200 kilos a week. So that's cool. So he'll do four rows. So that's kind of where it's leading to. And I think um, he'll probably be planting less items and more of what we're going to be using. So, We'll be featuring Summerlee Farms' Liz Mankin in an upcoming episode of The Producers in Launceston. Massimo explains why he loves their beef and the persistence necessary to secure it for the restaurant. And you can't even get Liz's produce. That's how, you know, like, that's another thing. Like, I, I tried their beef at the markets three years ago. Beef's always a really difficult one in Tasmania. I know people think that that would be an easy one, but it's super difficult. To get beef that, um, to have traceability on our beef uh, is is just absurd. It's so hard. But anyway, I, I've kind of seen them pop up on social media and I saw them in the markets and uh, I tried their beef and it was delicious. And I was like, you know, how can I get your beef? Oh, all our boxes are gone. So it's kind of like what I was talking about last night. It's like that hounding. Like I don't, I'm so annoying because when I want something, I won't give up and so I kept going kept going and um you know because the thing is their 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 beef is on farm it's you know I think not they don't have a mobile um abattoir but they're not far from their farm um it's it's completely produced the right way and it just tastes so good Uh, and the fact that their boxes sell out like there's a waiting list for their box and so a year ago what happened was um 
they just called me and said, we've had a cancellation. I'm like, okay, we've got half a, half a cow. I'm like, oh, we'll take it. And so that's, that's you know, but that took a long time. Um, Kim at Forkett Farm, like, you know, they're the same. They're just, sometimes they don't know what they're sitting on. You know, it's like this treasure chest. And it's nice to see them after all this time, the hard work they do put into it that, um, you know, I mean, I don't like the fact that you can't get, get access to it sometimes because it's kind of just, that's, but that's part of, that supply and demand but it means that everybody is jumping on board and also understanding that you know there's quality there and they're paying for it where they're not just looking for cheap meat you know they're not understanding and and i think the future is also you know people talk about how expensive you know food is and there are ways that we can get smart about that with um you know you get three or four families together and you can you could be eating eye filler for fifteen dollars a kilo. You might have to put the shin in a pasta, but you can go there and buy a whole beast for I don't know eleven hundred bucks or half a beast for eleven hundred bucks. They break it down for you, and um, everyone takes something. It's like you put on the table. It's like well, I'll take this and I'll take that. Everyone gets some of the eye filler, and I think that's also a really good way to do it as well. Um, where it's not just about going to the butcher and getting a prime cut of meat if you put a bit of effort everyone's got big freezers you put in the freezer it lasts for a few months um and that's a really great way to kind of source um you know local produce but affordable as well not just if you go to the butcher and you look at a, a price for something oh that's so expensive but um it's not really if you take everything and and obviously educate people to kind of how to cook the shin but i know they know how to cook the eye filler but what do we do with the shin what do we do with the tongue um I think that'll be, you know, we talk about what's next. And especially in the north of the state, there's a lot of, I follow a lot of Facebook pages that farmers are always putting that out there. You can get lamb for $11 a kilo. You take the whole lamb, we've got the shanks, we've got the cutlets, everything you need. Okay, right, split into two boxes. You take half, I take half. And, you know, I think that that is going to happen eventually. I'm not sure what scale but I think more and more people will start to think outside the box. Quality, provenance and traceability are at the heart of meaningful relationships with produce and those who grow it. What is Massimo seeing now and what role does he believe chefs will play in our food futures? I think stop. it's not a trend anymore. I think people are really engaging in um, the local, you know, ever since all the shutdowns happened. I think people had no choice and we realised that we actually do have an abundance of produce here. Um, I think understanding the cost involved as well, like people, it's not always more expensive to eat well. I think one thing that we've proven in this business is that um, you know, 95% of the produce that comes in is local and we're still running a viable business. And I think that's really important. So for me, um, I guess as an industry leader, I'd like other, more, as, a, as a hospitality, I'd like other businesses to look at that and think, well, how can they start supporting um, the local food scene, uh, uh, local food community more, rather than getting, um, you know, produce shipped over in plastic bags. I think the waste and looking after our environment is a big part of moving forward. And I think um, using what's here is, is probably the start of that. Um, and more chefs doing it 
I think it just takes a bit more commitment and a bit more effort. It's um, I'm not going to say that working with local produce is oh it's just this dream. It's not, but if you're really committed to it, I think um, as chefs we are leaders, and I think with us consumers follow, and we see that with social media, we see that with um, guests in the restaurant. Um, whether they go, where's that olive oil from? It's like, oh, well, it's from Village Grove. You go and see Alan at the markets and you, then they go and see Alan at the markets and they get it and they, Alan calls me and goes, thanks so much for that tip. No worries. You know, like it's just a beautiful thing and um, they're getting quality then they're getting provenance and they're getting traceability. And I think that's, that's the future and that not, doesn't necessarily mean it needs to break the bank, but I think it's a starting point. Yeah. The Launceston region is small enough to nurture meaningful connections, but large enough to support diversity and variety. Massimo outlines his perspective on this special part of Tasmania. They're very parochial up here, like they're very proud. Uh, there's a long history of, um, like I said, food, agriculture. But I feel like it's a really supportive community. I feel like, um, hence why I think this has been such a huge success. Um, everybody knows somebody. Uh, it's still that, you know, Launceston's 100,000 people, um, probably 150,000 with a greater greater area. And I think um, I think the work community is, is really a big part of that. Um, whether you're, you know, buying from a local producer or you've got the young girl who works in the restaurant who's, you know, related to the owner or the, the truck driver or the, you know, like it's everybody knows somebody. And I think um, the North, I don't like to kind of, you know, it's really hard, you don't do that Melbourne, Sydney thing where they separate, you know, the cities. But I think the North is just, everything's a little bit closer, um, not just in mileage, but just the, the community. And you'll see people really come together to um, put, you know, the Northern the northern region on the map. And I think UNESCO is probably a really great kind of segue into that like been voted the gastronomy uh, UNESCO um, gastronomy city of gastronomy um, this year and just kind of how everyone just got so excited and behind that and was really jumping up and down because I think they've been trying really hard and um, you know from the markets the food community to the restaurants to the producers and and to the consumers so I think it's a real kind of um, it's a real collaborative region and I think that's probably why it's been so successful. The producers' dinner at Grain of the Silos in August 2022 was a centrepiece of agriculture. How did it feel to be the chef that's been working towards this, building those possibilities for years? For me, like, I think last night I kind of, at the end I choked up. I mean, I was extremely tired, but I think when I see everybody together, um, sharing the vision as well, like, it's really hard. Hospitality's had a really tough um, couple of years and I think um, there's always a lot of kind of yeah there's been a lot of negativity around and staffing and for just everything and I think um, I think what I realised last night is that we've got some beautiful people working for us and, and really passionate and committed and we've got all these producers and I think for me um, after four years of starting this crazy idea that about supporting local which I still didn't really understand what that meant at the time I, it was more I think just a marketing thing to start with I thought yeah we'll support local and then um, I think as a chef and as a as a leader and as someone who's grown up in hospitality who just l lives and breathes it I think the fact that 
I can bring a whole room of people together from all different backgrounds and there's not just foodies out there there's there's just guests that you know really loyal to the restaurant the hotel and things like that and um it was really moving to see that how happy everybody was and having a good time that noise in the restaurant and i think um it just for me just kind of cements the fact that you just don't stop and um you keep inspiring you, you keep doing what you're doing um, and I think, you know, there was a friend of mine, a chef in there at dinner last night, Maddie, and he was like, it was, he, he was so blown away by the emotion in the room. It, it wasn't about coming to see what the chefs were cooking. It was really about kind of bringing everyone together. And I think that's kind of what we like to do. That's what hospitality is. And I, I think they're connecting to like authenticity, like, you know, we're, we're being honest and true and um, vulnerable. Like, we don't always get it right. Um, but I think I think people people understand now kind of – I feel like now I've, I've been here long enough that – it's funny, when you move back to Tassie, I kind of felt like I had to prove myself again, even though I was a Tasmanian. I just went away for a little while. And I think – once people trust what you, you know what you're about, I think they just jump on and support. And from day one, I always made it very clear that we wanted to help people and create a a, a venue, a precinct, because um, where people felt safe and felt comfortable and felt um, kind of you know as a business supporting the community, not just the restaurant, but staffing, you know, families, um, development. Um, all these things and I think people kind of gravitated to the, towards that um, and I think last night just kind of really solidified what that meant and, and I didn't coerce the producers in, in saying what they said and like that kind of took me back a little bit as well I thought well people are noticing it you know like it's they notice what we're doing you know they notice what I'm doing and I think that in itself just made me feel like um Yeah, I'm on the right track. Massimo Mele is a chef and restaurateur, but over a glittering career, he started looking for more than awards and accolades. Authentic, honest and vulnerable, he's part of a groundswell in hospitality, connecting with producers and the seasonal cycles they are bound by, creating connection and meaning and making it delicious along the way. This is The Producers. I'm Danny Vallant. The Producers in Launceston is a special series celebrating the producers and people of Northern Tasmania. These podcasts are a partnership with Agricultured, a food showcase of this beautiful and rich region, sensitive to heritage, forging a tasty future. Listen to all of The Producers in Launceston podcasts on the Deep in the Weeds podcast network.